Welcome to Fundraising in 20, a podcast dedicated to life and philanthropy with your hosts, John Della and Sam Provenzano. Welcome back to episode two of Fundraising in 20. I'm John Zella, and as always, I'm joined by Sam Provenzano. Sam, how are you today? Oh, I'm pumped up for the topics that we have in store for the listeners, aren't you? Yeah, we we know a thing or two about this. So <laughs> yes. yeah, this is definitely a good topic for us to discuss. And uh, we talked about it so much that it's probably, it, we probably could have done a podcast with all the texts and <laughs> calls and everything that we've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we talked a little bit the other day about riding the waves of the job hunt. Um, mm. we, we both, unfortunately, have had to, had to deal with this. Whether we've been employed or not, but pandemic sure. aside, um, we've both dealt with this before. Um, what's the hardest part of riding these waves as we talked about trying to find your next opportunity? I'll tell you, the hardest part during the waves is when you get to the highest point of the wave and you're the final two and you know you're a good candidate, they know you're a good candidate, and you just fall short. I think that's the hardest part of being on the wave. And then thinking that you're done swimming for a while, or you're done surfing, and then you gotta go back and play, and play gotta go back into the water. And that's very scary. Um, so you, there's such uh, so much emotion going on during that time, but no one really tells you during that, time when you don't get that job at the the highest wave you're the final two and then you got to go back all the way down I guess it feels but as you realize as you get older as you mature as you kind of go through the process you're not really falling you're really rising it is it it teaches you a lot about yourself how you're going to handle the situation and I hope that people listening or in general don't need to go through it maybe as much as you and I have um, whether, again, I, I remember applying for jobs and just not getting it when I had a job. And it's mm. extra hard to deal with mm. the waves, you know, going from the crest. And it's really exciting to get these opportunities. You get Absolutely. all these interviews. And it seems to come in waves where there was a week uh, where I had a bunch of interviews. And then all of a sudden it gets really quiet. And then. <laughs> Four weeks later, all of a sudden, it, it kind of all comes back. Someone puts the energy in wow. the world for me. And then it happens all over again, and you kind of have to get ramped up. And then I think you just get And you got to have somebody to help you with. Let's bring that up. There's where you and I, there's where friendship that came out of nowhere through LinkedIn. And now here we are supporting each other because we both were very close to getting certain roles during the last 12 months or something. But maybe they didn't happen for us. And we were able to kind of literally go through it together. And it was very difficult, but also we, we made it fun. We tried to make it as entertaining as possible because we both knew that thousands of people were going through this, millions. Yeah, and it's not necessarily about making excuses and make, trying to make yourself feel better. It's sure. truly learning about what happened and dissecting it and getting feedback from people. And as we said last episode, being vulnerable, it's, it's the whole package, this, this thing where you kind of have to, um, yeah, just, just be vulnerable with it, hear the feedback, yeah. change, be willing to make the changes and, and grow a little bit. And here's a story here. I have a story from somebody that I am coaching right now, as you know, with Next Gen Fundraisers, a little bit of plug. But this person very early on when I met with them, 
applied for eight jobs. They had eight interviews and they were like, Sam, I'm done. I'm not going to apply. I'll get one of these. And I knew deep down that this was their first wave. They weren't ready for it. And I couldn't say it then because I was just, I wasn't, I couldn't. But I knew deep down that he was not going to get one of these roles because it just wasn't going to happen. It just, I had this feeling. But he was so confident that it would happen. He stopped applying. He did not get any of them. It, it is tough it when you feel like you're, you feel good about learn. it. It's tough. Yeah, that I I remember. I, I remember, I know, I remember. I, from experience, and there was a nine-year gap. There was a nine-year gap, and I think that nine years of experience makes a big difference in this industry. Yeah, I met things move really in quickly. I, I was I was happy to kind of pick up even just consulting work to stay in the mix with everything. Like it's, it's, you don't want to feel like you're falling behind in, in the industry. You want to make sure that you're keeping up with different trends. And it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to actually apply it. And oh, yeah. I, I find that, that, you know, you even just the small role that, that I'm doing now, I feel like I'm still a part of it. I get to do research and everything and kind of make it work and then apply it into an everyday job. And um, I think, I think a part of this, and this is where we hope we always get right to the offer. Mm -hmm. Um, mm. kind of along these lines of uh, the waves and vulnerability, um, I saw a post and I saved it and, you know, it turned into an episode, but this is where it, it's kind of started. In early September, I saw this, um, this gentleman, Tim Denning, uh, who mm. he has like a quarter million followers on LinkedIn. It's kind of a big deal, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, posted something interesting in regard to what someone should be looking for in a leader who offers you a job. And I feel like you have a lot of thoughts on this. He offered things like, freedom to work your own hours, family first style, time management. What are some of the things that you would look for in a leader, specifically in fundraising? Well, specifically in fundraising, and I'm glad you used the word leader. There are leaders and there are bosses. We're talking about leaders here. So first off, those are good superheroes, okay? Because there's a big difference between a leader and a boss. What I look for in a good leader is that vulnerability, I want to I want to make sure that they understand what WLB really means and that's work life balance. Like when we talk about good culture, what does that mean? You know, I I want them to tell me that. I want to learn more about who they are. Um I want them to understand that, you know, I can get my job done without uh you micromanaging me. Those make for good leaders, people that understand that life goes beyond the development office and you can still be aggressive and you can still be um, tenacious, but there's no yelling in philanthropy. There's no yelling in business, especially in a business like ours. What are we doing? So that's what I look for in a leader. And that's a lot. And that can be a little bit of a aggressive statement, but I've been in this industry for 11 years I'm now out of this industry because I almost gave it up because it gave up on me. And here I am, you know, doing something very different, but very much involved in an industry that I love. What are some red flags um, or answers to some of your questions in an interview that would kind of give you pause before accepting a job? This is a little off script, so I apologize. Sure. That's okay. And I'm having bad connection here in my home. 
Um, I had I withdrew from three jobs during 2020. I was a final candidate in two out of the three, and the other I withdrew during the interview because it was very uncomfortable. Um, those red flags are not able to provide me with fiscal year numbers, and then not able to provide me with you know where they are in the future, where they're going, uh, what their plan is, what their mission is really, and then some of them didn't. There was one organization, a very large organization, an institution, a college, that told me directly that their president is interested in philanthropy, but they have to hire it. They need, we need a chief development officer because it just looks good. And I withdrew from that job, politely. Yeah, those are, those are kind of big things. And I've thought about that. It's funny, the more I go through the interview process, and even over the past couple of years, as I was interviewing for um, while I had two jobs ago now, while I was interviewing, or interviewing around, um, and we'll get mm -hmm. to maybe why that happens. Um, mm. I've learned some of the questions that you can ask in these interviews. That's not crazy. I think the financial mm. information is really important to be able to give you mm -hmm. an idea. Um, asking them what their culture of philanthropy is. Is that what's mm -hmm. expected of me, I've seen that in a lot of jobs. That's what you lately. want to ask. It's a culture of philanthropy. You see that. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to the organization? Because if you don't, if you're not meeting uh, in the same, if you're not going in the same direction, you're going to be heading into a big disaster. And then you're going to be looking for another job. <laughs> yeah. Or, and I've seen this in the job descriptions themselves to, it literally says sure. to create a culture of philanthropy. And I, and I think that's important if there's an open mind on the other side of it, because then you have to come well, in with a different that idea. That happened to me. And, yes. and that's a, it puts everyone in a difficult situation and yes, you, you I, may come off and that's, that's delicate. That's where you need to kind of show some, very delicate. Um, some grace and, and how you're approaching that and how you're laying it out. So it's, it's a little, it's interesting. And, it's very, it's very and, delicate. And John, let me tell you, that's very delicate. I was in that exact position as the vice president of development at a smaller nonprofit about a year ago. There was never someone there in the development office in 45 years. It was really up to me to bring that culture of philanthropy in. And I did, you know, I did the best I could, but sometimes that's just not enough because you gotta have the whole team. And if, and if it's so new and so different, sometimes it just doesn't sink. No one's at fault. It just wasn't the right time for them. It wasn't the right time for me. And now here I am, I'm living my happily ever after. And I hope they're doing well too. It, it's kind of hard in, in this industry. And this is a really good segue, um, kind of to piggyback on, on this idea. I saw a stat in a recent article citing a 2018 fundraising mm -hmm. industry uh, survey that that was interesting and a little troubling because I think that's kind of, that's that's a little bit of where we are. Um, it said participants averaged 4.7 years at their current employer, and 6.2 years is the average for the longest wow, time that's a lot. at any organization. And I'm I'm I was kind of aware of this anecdotally, right? I, I think we all kind of know this in small communities. I'm sure. up in Syracuse, New York. Sure. We we kind of know who's hopping around and who's whatever, but it still surprised me. And it leads me to, to a couple of questions. What is it, in your opinion, what is it about the five-year mark that causes fundraisers to seek something else? And how can employers help retain them? Growth. They want to see growth 
They've been there for five years. They're probably in the same position, probably the same title. Maybe a little bit of money has been thrown their way to keep their mouth shut, to keep them happy. <laughs> you know, things like that. That's not meant to be in a, in a rude way. And they're, they're ready for growth. And, and unfortunately, there's no room for them to go. So they've run out of the space. And then the anger and the resentment starts to build on both sides because you have the employee thinking, oh my gosh, this is my moment. Why am I not getting promoted? Where is this happening? And then they think that you're being greedy or you're wanting too much or what did you expect? I've been in those positions. And I know a lot of fundraisers that have because that's my job now. So that's really what it comes down to. And that's from based on 204 conversations I've had with about, with what, 204 fundraisers throughout the pandemic. And we got into these topics very, very deeply. Um, for me, I'd never gotten even close to four and a half years anywhere. I was usually out after three and a half or four. Yeah, and that's that. That average is is really surprising, and I I think in when I when I speak with people, and I spoke to somebody today, um, or I, I just uh, today, and you know the 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 last few months, um, it's the burnout. It's the like you said, it's a little bit of lack well, and of, the burnout as well. It's lack of growth. It's burnout. It's it's a multitude of things. But for me, and if it's me and the people I know, the ones that want to hustle, that want to grow, that want to get their 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 time in 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 the sunshine after all those after all that hard work after all those gifts close you want your moment and sometimes that's not the place you got to jump somewhere else because the director or the the executive director of x giving is not going anywhere yeah that part of it is that part of it is definitely tough and i think you know i i hope that employers think kind of like um like a director of sales where it's expensive to bring in new people to your organization. They don't think that way. They don't think that way. No, that's the problem. They don't think that way. They're it's, and that's a common, you can ask any fundraiser. I think we all kind of believe that they don't think that way. You know, they real they think that there were just talent and they can just find someone else, but there's an impact. There are studies that show when a major gift officer leaves an organization, it does have an impact for that next year, for that next two, three, four, five, or forever. And I have donors that I have, le- that when I left an organization, they just stopped giving to that organization completely. It wasn't anything I said. Our connection was through that. And they gave because of me, they weren't feeling that I was the gift officer. The relationship was different and they cut ties. And that's how important our roles are or your role will be. People don't want to admit that. And that's a really really, really controversial thing to say, but our roles as major gift officers have been underrated and underplayed. We are the secret sauce to raising money for the organization. It's you and I. Again, it's you, not in me anymore. It was me. So we are the face. And when we leave after building that trust, because I know you, John, you built that trust with that, that family. You, you were going on events with that donor. You were doing everything you could to be vulnerable with them. And then all of a sudden, you're gone. They're going to think, what, what's happening here? What happened? And then you got to play the, play the same role. Oh, well, you know, got a great opportunity. Meanwhile, you just didn't get promoted. 
and you tried and tried and tried, but that's getting very deep, John. And maybe we don't want to go there. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, just, just from experience, you know, thinking about, Ooh, I told you I was going to be excited about this topic today. Mike. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the stories are, that's, that's the whole point. I mean, I, I think what I would say to any leaders out there looking at their team and something mm -hmm. that I made sure to do when I was hiring somebody is, it's so important to understand your team's ambitions and professional development goals. Not yeah. only are we there to help our teammates accomplish their day-to-day -day tasks and their job, right? We're here to help them grow and be better professionals. I, when I hired somebody, you know, a couple jobs ago, um, after a few conversations, she really wanted to go more into like a marketing and design role. So we developed a plan where we were able to do both. She accomplished her development goals and she happened to be really good at it. She's very personable, mm. very mm. driven. But mm. we also worked on making sure that she was hitting the design things that she wanted to do. And she's really, really good at that. And now she has this, this big toolkit of leader. things. That's where, a good leader. And, and now she's really poised for that next great thing if she wants mm. it and if she wants it right and you, that's awesome that's awesome yeah I, and i think that's and i think that's really important and especially for you know executive directors of development or whatever whatever title they're vice leading. president they're, i was a vice president of development at a it was not a small organization it was a medium to high organization yeah. so i don't take labels are for people our labels are for filing for me you know i i don't think about them about people about major get prospects you know labels are so uh, they drive right. me crazy. It, you know, it's just like it's really expensive to bring on a new donor. And not like I was saying earlier, it's expensive to bring on a new employee. Like oh, there's sure all does. this training, there's all this catch up, there's the loss, there's opportunity costs as it relates to that officer leaving and having the relationships. So, you know, keeping the, the retention part of it and the, the burnout for me is you're kind of just what's what's new? Are we, is it a different approach? Is it a different project? Is it again? And that kind of speaks to having that conversation about what are your personal and what are your professional goals? Whether that, you know, whatever, whatever that is, how can we help you get where you want to go and, sure. and not how be can afraid we help you get, but honor it, honor that, honor that though, because if your boss has, your leader says it, what about her or his leader? you know, sometimes they don't have the same eye to eye either. So you got to remember that your, your boss or your leader usually has another leader. And if they don't see eye to eye, that, that means nothing. So you, that's what you got to look out for as the culture of philanthropy and your job interview. Okay. You understand that this boss, want, your boss wants a culture of philanthropy. That's great. What about their boss's boss? Does, do they believe? Because when I found out in my job interview, that the president of the university didn't really need, didn't see a need to bring in my position. What the heck is that saying about the organization? And I was shocked. I was blown away. And I think they were shocked that I told them I was shocked. I was shocked. I'm still shocked that that happened. That was four months ago. I, I think fundraising for a lot of people are still really uncomfortable and they, they probably just paint it with a very broad brush and it may not have been as harsh maybe as, as I still he, didn't as get told I didn't get, I guess I withdrew, but I didn't even know how to withdraw from a position like that. It was so awkward for me. And I can talk about this now because I really am not going to go back into this industry in that realm, 
Uh, but if, even if I did, it's still okay to talk about. That's the problem. I have to apologize for being honest, and I shouldn't have to be. But I don't want to go off on a tangent. We got a lot of good topics already we're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know the the big thing for me is the and it's it's really funny too that leaders of fundraising departments don't treat their staff like they would the donor, and I think that's the secret there. You're mm. st- and it's listening. And, and it, I, I think I posted it on LinkedIn a while back, the um, listen, the ask. It's mm. how you're treating your, your, your colleagues. Forget about it's people Jekyll you manage. Hyde. It's Jekyll and Hyde. I've seen bosses in my 13 years, 15 years. I mean, what? I've worked for a long time. I've seen bosses that are, act like the sweetest, kindest, most gentle souls uh, in front of the donors and in front of events. And then all of a sudden, they become two-faced and, and, and ream me for something that is really so stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think it's that, you know, treating your teammates, your colleagues, the people, you're, if you're the supervisor, yeah. making sure, you know, treating them and, and really listening. And the donors realize that you do know that. Like, I, I, we'll, we're going to get some donors to speak on this in the podcast from the future, but major gift donors realize when there's chaos in the development office. Do you know that? They can no. sense that. They can sense that when they when you're building an authentic relationship over five years, over four years with an individual, they become like your friend and your family and someone that you and they know when things are not going right because they're seeing the emails coming from the university or they're going to basketball games and seeing that why isn't everyone sitting together from this team? You know, that's strange. They notice it and then they come to you and because they trust you, hey Sam, is everything okay with the team? That's, that was mind-boggling. No one would believe that story, but that's the truth. That's what they're noticing. That's next-gen. Yeah, I, I think donors are becoming more perceptive, especially as we spend more time with them. They're going to pick yes. up on those, those little things. Yeah, um, they know about our families. They know about our lives. That's the whole point. And we know about theirs. It's a two-way street. And that's when the magic happens. That's when you raise the big money. That's when you raise the gifts because it's a partnership. It's no surprise. There's no shock. They know what you're doing because I'm bringing up philanthropy every time I'm with them in my own way. And that's what every major gift officer should do. Always bring up philanthropy. How's your job? They're going to ask you how your job is. Tell them. Tell them what you're doing. Yeah. Give them the inside scoop. You know, get them. Get get them. That's a a great segue to to our last little segment here. And again, in, in line of, you know, treating your your colleagues or when you're, whether you're seeing the environment, you're going to a job interview, you're seeing how people are interacting. Um, the, the, the the investment, when you were in a position, a managing position, just like we do with our donors, how did you get your staff to feel like they had some kind of investment in your, your strategy in the Mm, office? Again, like a, like a a donor. Right, you you get them involved with intellectually before financially, and that gets them. Oh wow, I feel like I grew this thing. I'm part I'm of, this part of the team. I'm a part, I'm of, the part team. of the team. And that was with that's Ken Chaverko, the 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 man that sparked my kind of LinkedIn renaissance or whatever you want to call it. When he died of COVID nineteen on April seventh, he sparked me. But that was I managed him at my last job, and he was sixty three years old. And that's what I saw in him. He was that guy. We had that relationship. So 
I, I got to teach him and he understood philanthropy for the very first time. It was amazing. Yeah. What, what were those conversations like to get his investment? Were, were you asking about his ideas and um, what did he think of where you were going with something? Like what, what were those conversations like? Sure. You know, some of the, it was just like people, we'd sit at the front desk uh, in my little office, we'd go to Dunkin' Donuts. I would take him out there and we would get out of this office feel, you know, we both didn't like being in the office. He didn't like it. I didn't like it. So we went to Dunkin' Donuts and had our meetings. This was pre-pandemic, you know, back in the day. And it's scary What's because he like? died from the, I know, right? It's crazy. I don't, I don't even know. It was pre-pandemic and this is the pandemic that killed my friend. The, the, in the story that I'm talking about. So we would we would go there and I would just say, hey, you've been here for five years. I'm the new guy here. Just because I'm the vice president doesn't mean that I can't listen and take your, I need your help. I need your assistance. You've been here for five years. Who were the, give me the ins and the outs. So I would show him what I had planned with this maybe donor or maybe this organization. I was doing, you know, as vice president development for a medium shop, you're doing a lot of things uh, on your own and you have a small amount of team you have a couple interns a couple staff members uh, but really it's you but that's it you bring him in and then he was able to teach me new things and he wasn't you know and I'm 36 he's 63 I'm managing him it was very very special and very unique and very next gen but there was never I never disrespected him and he never disrespected me for my age he always I, took me very seriously. And I, I think that's really important. That. I wish I could tell him that, but I can't. So. Yeah, I, I think that's really important <laughs> that despite people's age, that you show them the respect, um, just, you know, and, and, and truly get to know them and, and again, be vulnerable and have them get to know you mm -hmm. so that you can have those conversations and no one feels like they're under either under the gun to answer or answer in a specific way. Uh, and, and, and make sure that you're kind of teasing out the, the information so that you can have those kind of honest conversations. Yes. yes. Sorry. Just talking about my friend gets me teared up a little bit, my friend. Uh, I guess I got to get used to talking about that story, huh? I mean, I, I think it's a good one. I think it resonates it's a great with, one. with people and um, yeah, it's, it's a lesson and I'll, I'm going to tie this up. This is, this is the bow on, on the episode, All right. is, you know, on the job hunt here. <laughs> So, you know, just, just in, in, in thinking about, you know, you were saying, oh, the team, uh, the donor asks the question, why is the team not sitting together in, in a job interview? Because typically it's, it's not just you and it's not a one-on-one -on -one anymore. No, it's just like on seven on one. <laughs> seven on, and I've, yes, and I've dealt just, with that where it's like three board members and this person. And I'm like, what am I, yes. Superman? I guess so. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a lot, it's, it could be overwhelming. Um, Definitely Absolutely. be prepared if you if you're not doing a ton of interviews yet, or and you're listening to this. Um, and, call and me. Maybe you're, call John. Yeah, call where us. it's you know some there'll be board members, there'll be consultants, there'll be the executive director. It, it's it'll be a, it'll be students a bunch of people. Students coming in, yeah, students coming. It's in. kind of crazy, but anyway, the is there something that we can tell when we're in a job interview? Maybe not on Zoom, but in, when we did or when we will do. I did both during um, the pandemic. I did an right. in-person interview with, with a mask on. I did do that a couple of times. Wow. So, and I, I did, I did as well. I, okay. I, is there something that you can tell on the team if some, uh, so there's a bunch of people in a room and there's only a couple of people asking questions. Like, is there a vibe you can pick up? To be yes. Like, this isn't a team. I can yes. tell this is destroyed. Yes, yes, yes. 
Usually they're eye rolling each other. Uh, that's never a good sign. I've seen that's not a good sign of a team that I want to work for. They're eye rolling each other. Um, they're looking at me like I have two heads when I'm asking questions that, you know, they, they feel threatened by the new person coming in, especially if you're quote unquote above them. If you're the new vice president, I've been interviewing for those kind of roles. I went over seven. I withdrew from three. Um, but that's what they're, they're thinking that you're trying to come in and take something from them. And, and I am not a wolf in sheep clothing. So I think there's just a lot of fear. So you got to look out for that. And I, I really don't have time to assure, you know, people all the time that I am not a wolf in sheep clothing. You interviewed me. I'm here. Your boss brought me in. You should trust your leader. Um, and, and then you go from there. But the, not asking questions or asking questions that are so basic that you really didn't care about this interview, did you? You must have had an internal candidate or you're just not into me. And sometimes that's okay. But please don't let me sit here for another two hours while you roll your eyes at me. Yeah, I think the the eye rolling and the looks or different little things. It's all about the between, body language, the language of love, the feelings, yes. And not even just towards the candidate, towards each other. Like you're not on each the same other. page. I think that's important because I, I tend to take those interviews when I'm interviewing somebody for position. And I've been lucky enough to do it a number of times um, with some success, may I add, but I, 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 right. I do, I do take it really seriously. I make sure to, to do, do the research and ask very pointed questions about each of those people. I give the questions to the person I'm going to be doing the interview with. Here's what I'm asking. Yeah. I want you to have input. Again, these are team yeah. members that they, you know, I'm technically managing, but I, you know, my colleagues so that we were all kind of on the same sure. page and no one was getting surprised. Kind of like a podcast. We write the script so that yeah. we can both, we know what we're going to talk about. We, we don't, we don't seem disjointed and, and there's a good flow and you want them to see, wow, they had a strategy and they really thought about me as a, a human And that was DePaul University. That was, the, that was DePaul University when I first applied there. There was multiple, multiple interviews. I applied at DePaul four times previously. I never got an interview. I, I wasn't ready. Uh, I knew I wasn't ready, but I tried anyway, because you've got to put yourself out there. And I did get interviews at DePaul, but I wasn't ready for their associate director position, even though I thought I was. Uh, and then finally, with that interview process at that time, I think everyone's now gone there, but everyone that was there at that time was just so in sync. And I felt the camaraderie. I felt that they needed me. I felt that I'm, I was looking back at notes of when I was uh, at DePaul's uh, inter university's interview and I kept those notes because I was so impressed. And I wanted to make sure I shared that with you tonight because I know what a good NSYNC team looks like, but it's much harder to distinguish what a wolf in sheep clothing team looks like or a team that just you know, might under say the right words, but they're not showing you. Where are the numbers? Where's, show me the receipts. You know, you're, you're saying all this, you collaborate. What does collaborate mean? And if they don't know the answer to that, that's a red flag. Or if they're not doing it during the interview. Yeah, exactly. If they're not doing it in the interview, that's a red flag. Maybe a pink flag. Maybe they're nervous too. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're nervous in an interview. They're potentially interviewing their boss. They're nervous. So I take that into consideration and everyone must. Everyone's nervous in the interview, not just the employee or the person looking for the job. They're nervous too, because I've been on both sides of the fence and I'm nervous as well. And that's something that's vulnerability. And that's something we can just all just admit right off the bat. When they sat, when I sat down in the interview, they're like, how are you? I'm like, 
well, I am a little stressed, but I am good, my friend. How are you? And they laugh and it breaks the ice. And if they don't appreciate my sense of humor, I don't want to work for them anyway. So that's my way of knowing if they're going to understand Sammy P, if they're going to understand John Zella, if they're going to understand blah, blah. It's just the way it is. You got to ask those questions and test them yourself. Test them. It's also, and, and um, this is a, this is a good sp- Good spot to end because we can we can probably rant on this. Oh, we can for, do this all for, day for some time. You're also interviewing them. This is an opportunity to learn about the organization, the people you're going to work with. Whether that's just small talk before the actual interview, whether that's on the way out. What's the rapport Absolutely. like? Absolutely, I love that, John. Pay. You, you have an opportunity to, I always go to the bathroom. Bring, go to the bathroom. Go leave the leave the interview. Go outside, go to your car, and then be like, oh, can I go back in the bathroom and see how they are? I've done that pre-COVID, just to see how they are after I just left. And usually there's another person coming right after to interview for the same position. <laughs> it's really awkward. But, um, and also I get, I've made a lot of friends actually that way after the interview. It's kind of a secret tip. It might be looked at as frowned. I mean, you don't have to stalk the person, but I, I would definitely try to go back in there and just try to get um, a sense of the rapport um, by asking, can I use the restroom after the interview? Interesting. I never, I know. I, same, I thing when that's, that. same thing when a donor interview or a donor uh, prospect meeting goes array and you can't seem to get them to stop talking, take a bathroom break. And then right when you get back down, you can be like, Hey, so by the way, here's the scholarship. You know, it's a way to break the ice. That's just two little tips that have to do with bathrooms. But, um, there you go. Yeah, we'll we'll keep <laughs> we'll we'll try to figure that out for, for next time. We'll make sure we have our. Uh, that's our a good way to end the yeah, show. That's my a good friend. way. No, this is this is a great conversation. Again, we're we were kind of going. I'm going through this personally right now, um, looking for my next opportunity. Um, and I'm just starting people. out. Yeah, I'm coaching, and 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 the, the sky's the limit. Maybe it's a part. Maybe this doesn't turn into my full time job, and someone does need a major gift officer or a vice president of development somewhere else. I'm game. You know, yeah. the sky's the limit. Life is too short, John. Yeah, Life keeping, is too uh, short. keeping a positive attitude through all this, um, I'll say, is, is probably to. the most important thing. Having the people around you that you can bounce ideas off of or vent or whatever. Um, yeah, all, John, all we've all never really met important. in person. We've never met in person. 204 people I've talked to since the pandemic, I've never met in person. And some of them are becoming very close friends of mine. Yeah, and the you know the the LinkedIn group that Sam and I run, yeah, uh, next gen fundraisers, five hundred um, plus. Yeah, I mean it's it's a place where you can ask some questions and learn some whether that's interview tips or any anything, and it's anything. Um, DM even, us, private message us. It's okay. This is not that kind of LinkedIn group. We have five hundred and ten now. It's amazing. It yeah, started it, less than two months ago, John. Yeah, it's it's an awesome it's an awesome group. Um, Sam, this is a fun conversation to our listeners. Thanks for so thanks so much for following along. Rate, review, and share, and make yes. sure to tune in in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Take care, everybody. Bye, guys.